on the indie film level, you know, on that, that slightly smaller scale, I think a lot of filmmakers think producers are like some kind of sorting machine where you put a script in one side of us and then funding comes out the other side. Whereas producers are real creative collaborators. You know, we're not those sorting machines. We do get involved with the script. We do get involved with casting choices. We do work very closely with the writer, the director, everybody else in the team. Here we go. Podcast time, everybody. Mike Tech Studios. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the next great episode of the Mike Tech Studios podcast. This is Michael Midnight, and today we're going to do something a little bit different topic-wise. It's actually something of a passion of mine I haven't had a lot of experience in, but our guest has. And the topic is actually going to be for planning, insight, and creative strategy for visual storytellers. With us today is going to be Charlotte Atkinson. She's a producer. She plans and strategic filmmaking guidance for creatives. Charlotte, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? You know, I am happier to be able to speak with somebody like you just because it's it's a breath of fresh air for marketing and design. And it allows me to not only um, get another part of our audience together who are, you know, producers and creative filmmakers to uh, give a little bit of representation, but it's something that, like I said in our intro, it's not really... It's not really something I get to talk about or deal with every day. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited to kind of poke and prod your brain a little bit for questions and uh, things of interest that I think our listeners uh, would actually be not only entertained by, but um, interested in learning more about. Amazing. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. Well, the first thing, and I, I think that's usually the, the poking and the prodding of uh, who you are as a person, I obviously have to ask, what really got you started on this path as a producer? What 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 really kindled the fire for you to want to do this as your day-to-day? Oh, God, it's so um, low-rent answer. Honestly, it was my mom saying, well, you like watching TV, why don't you work in TV? <laughs> um, so I didn't really have this big, you know, passion or dream or anything. Theatre was actually my original passion, mostly because I'm from a theatre family. It's just something I grew up with. And it's, you know, when you're in that world, you're like, cool, this is what I'll do. You know, I got to the age of about 17 and found that it really wasn't my thing. The biggest thing was that I didn't like how, you know, you can spend six weeks rehearsing a play and then it's on the West End for six weeks and then it's gone. Whereas with film and TV, you know, it's there kind of forever for good and bad. You know, there are series that I remember watching age like 12 and I still love them and I still watch them. And so when my mum said, you know, why don't you work in TV? And that eventually ended up being film. That was honestly the thing that kept driving me was the idea that we're making something that lasts and we're making something that is so far-reaching. You know, I've made films with the intention of a very specific audience and I've had a completely different audience come up to me and say, I loved your film. That meant so much to me. And I think that's the really driving thing. But again, you know, it's not a, it's not exactly the most exciting answer, I guess. That's okay. Well, it's, it's a honest answer, but obviously from your accent, from most of the, us in the U.S., you're a little bit across the pond there. Where do you hail from and where do you, where did you grow up? Uh, I am originally from a very small town in East Sussex. 
Sussex, England, which is one of the counties right by the coast. So I got, I was very lucky. I grew up right by the sea. Right now I'm in London, so not a million miles away from home. But yeah, so it means that I tend to do a lot of self-deprecating humor. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's it's just funny because most of our previous guests that I had on recently, they're either Canadians or from London or the UK. So there seems to be like a commonplace of good people or good resources, especially creatives to reach out to. So that's interesting. Now, tell me more. You said you you had grown up from a theater family. That's kind of your bloodline is essentially creatively. Is it something your your parents, are they in the industry themselves? Yeah, my mom is a stage manager. And so obviously I grew up wanting to be a stage manager as well. Uh, my dad is a lighting designer. And as much as I love the whole concept of lighting design, it's not something I'm quite clever enough to do. So, you know, I spent a lot of my teenage years playing around with um, stage managing and lighting as well, you know, school productions and things. My auntie is a drama teacher. You know, she coaches a lot of amazing actors as well. So yeah, it really is a bloodline, like you said. It seems like it. You know, if this was The Legend of Zelda, you would be like the fourth reincarnation of Zelda right there. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, much it. you know, it's funny that you touch on theater because when I, uh, when I was growing up in high school, I had a lot of actor, artist friends, either they're in bands. Some of them are still performing to this day, uh, smaller, you know, smaller venues because it's just something they do as a passion project, but really good. And then you have other actors, producers, singers, songwriters. I mean, they're just anything from off Broadway to, I mean, to the likes of Hamilton, but you hit something on the nail as far as for how much behind the scenes work goes on for a production that goes on stage. I mean, we're, we're just stage crew itself is a, is a nightmare that people don't even get to see. You know, if everything goes off without a hitch uh, in, in a theater play, it's because you didn't see the 45 other people moving pieces of stage and lighting and, you know, repurposing for the next scene and it's flawless. But at the end of the day, it is very much a thankless job. You, you may go uncredited, you may go unseen or unknown, but you were very integral to that performance being amazing. And you may step up to that and put 110% in it and the actors might just have an off night and it may not come out as well as it should. That's kind of, I think, where maybe you find a little more uh, levity or forgiveness in the production and, and film medium. Am I am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It's kind of the same when you're a producer, you know, for film or TV or radio. You know, on the one hand, you do have a lot more power um, and a lot more kind of creative input which is something that I love but equally you know in in terms of like the industry's eyes you, you you kind of are exactly the same level as the stage crew you know it doesn't matter where you get to in your career no matter like how up you know how high up you get as a producer it never really makes that much difference to the industry you know there are a lot of producers that I know that are really really high up and they don't get replies to their emails they don't get their scripts read, you know, despite having many films to their name, it makes no difference if you're a producer. So it's funny that you mentioned that. It feels like I've kind of graduated from stage manager to producer, but honestly, there's not a huge amount of difference in that sense. Right. It seems like it's more of a title than it is the, I mean, the responsibilities are almost essentially the same. They're just transcending the medium from the platform of being on stage to now being on, you know, some sort of digital film or physical film formats themselves. You know, in, in my experience, I've had very little actual stage experience. I think the extent that I've done is theater sports and improv acting, which I just remember 
in those particular situations, even as a producer, I mean, in a sense where you're loosely for improv, the show is only really as good as the story, the recommendations from the audience. So if the audience is not really interacting with the experience, it kind of kills the energy and the chemistry of the show. But you're also as strong as your weakest actor. So as a cast, and I mean, stage crew, light, everybody, sound, everybody is part of this production. And if somebody falls, especially during a live presentation, if you will, a live show, I mean, it shows. You can't you can't hide it. I, I think it would be a lot more, it's a lot more stressful. And yeah. um, even in my experience, again, video short story was the closest I had gotten to smaller little, you know, little pet projects here or there. And I just remember the video short story teacher really highlighting about how things can change and edit, adjust in the editing process and the post process and, and sound really giving that brevity that if you have a good, concise production, clean editing, clean storytelling, sound really just bumps it up. It, it just, it's, it's, I think George Lucas always says sound is 50%, sound is half. I would almost say it's like 75%. The story, if it's good, it's going to be enhanced, but it has to be a good starter. You know what I mean? Like a good recipe for success, especially for a good film. Yeah, definitely. It's it's so funny, all of these kind of smaller moving parts that we don't really see or hear about or talk about that often. You know, when they're done wrong, it's painfully obvious, you know? And so it is just so crucial having the best team around you. You know, I think in film particularly, there's often this idea that you need to pay someone a lot of money or you need to get the really expensive people in or get the really expensive equipment or whatever. And really it just comes down to the people and making sure that everyone works really well together so that you never have those glaring errors you know whether it's theater or whether it's film it's always the same it all comes back down to the people and the ego flare-ups we don't need you know people <laughs> prancing off scene i quit i don't want to work with this guy he's a knucklehead you know it actually leads me into a very good question you know uh, that i we, we talked a little about this prior to the podcast but there might be some other insights that you can uh, have some listeners you know sort of glean from as a producer what are some details that most people either in or outside of the industry overlook for example you know we had spoken about it when you're in a project a lot of times producers don't actually get paid to well after the film or movie is done or wrapped up that's when the producer gets paid what are other really i think just glaring bits that people just take for granted i mean it is it's really good that you use theater as an example because only someone on the inside would you know it's not like till you go backstage and then suddenly you see all of these things it's exactly the same with producing and the same with any role really but for producers specifically we are you know the first ones in and the last ones out we often spend upwards of two years working on particular projects. The biggest thing that kind of annoys me specifically is usually people are trying to do it in a kind of patronizing way and they say, oh, you know, you got hired by the director. And it's like, dude, I hired the director and then I hired everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time for the patronizing thing. You know, again, on the indie film level, you know, on that, that slightly smaller scale, I think a lot of filmmakers think producers are like some kind of sorting machine where you put a script in one side of us and then funding comes out the other side. Whereas producers are real creative collaborators. You know, we're not those sorting machines. We do get involved with the script. We do get involved with casting choices. We do work very closely with the writer, the director, every 
everybody else and the team. Uh, but we really are the first ones in. So we often develop the, our own ideas and then get a writer attached or we pick up a script and we can spend years and years doing this. And it isn't until you get to production and you actually close your finance that you get paid for however many years worth of work you've done. I mean, if you said, like, if that was a business proposal, someone would tell you you're an idiot, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I can spend, and admittedly, it's not just me, it is a producer thing, it's our job, but you know, you can spend two years developing a project, getting the script right, securing the funding, but it isn't until you actually get into production and you start shooting that you finally get paid for it. And I think, you know, it's just about having that awareness, you know, as a producer, and before I even became a producer I was always told this was just the biggest piece of advice I got from everyone make sure you understand every single person's job you know if you can work in as many different roles on set as possible so you have that level of understanding but if you aren't thinking about being a producer and that's not your goal then it's not a lot of it's not common to hear that advice you know for someone that wants to be like a sound recordist or something and I really wish it was because like I say when it comes back to the people if you have that level of understanding for every single role and it doesn't have to be crazy deep level of understanding, but it just makes everything so much smoother and a lot happier as well. You know, there's a lot less friction when you're able to understand what that person is doing and why and why it's difficult for them. Well, I feel that when you are a creative, I mean, any any business, it's good to know all aspects and all facets of how things work because it gives you just a better idea of how, how things move, right? And I've experienced that. I mean, th I think we've all started out at the ground level at some point and then have worn many hats for different industries, different organizations, or even for our own careers or incentives. Being a creative can be very, very difficult. I, I do, uh, where I can personally relate, people, they, I think they take advantage of the fact that if I was a doctor, let's say, for example, you couldn't come to me, check and see if you like my doctoring or my experience or my schooling. Maybe my diagnosis is good. Maybe it's not. You kind of want to put one toe in. You don't really want to dedicate or, or commit. And then you kind of want to see another doctor that might be able to give you the same advice or situation for five bucks. You go, eh, I'm good. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. Even though I've invested your time, uh, you know, we, uh, we've had an hour session, emails back and forth. Eh, you know, I can't really pay you. I don't think that I have to pay. I, sh I should have to pay. And as a creative, we're not getting paid by the hour or paid for a project based on what you think we should be getting paid to solve your problem. We're getting paid to solve your problem. So if it's $5, $500 or $5,000, if it costs us five minutes of our time or five years, it solves your problem. You may not like that it was done quickly or made, you know, have taken far more time than you expected, but it's the same thing. We still, you know, you know, did we help produce your piece? Is it as you desired? Is it up? Is it out? Is it, you know, operational? Yes. Then it's a success. And I think, unfortunately, that people, they miss that mark. You know, they don't, they don't look at a 360 view. Sometimes you can be really busy personally or professionally, and you're just got that that tunnel vision, you know, that's all you can see is that two steps ahead of you or just, you know, as a black box theater production, let's say, for example, something very small and very intimate, you're, you're only worried about that one show if it's just your show. You don't realize if you run a little long, there's 15 other shows that have to go through in that same two hours and you just somebody has to rush through something else in order to do that. And again, that's a non-paying example, but 
that sucks. But I mean, even with the with the the smaller projects, what are the you know, let's say what are two of the biggest struggles that you found with smaller projects that you're able to turn around with your guidance and experience in the industry? Oh, you make it sound so elegant. Thank you. <laughs> That's my job. You're welcome. <laughs> And that's why you're the one in marketing and not me. You make it sound all excellent. Oh, I mean, every film is different. I mean, it's so funny. If you ask a producer, like, tell me about making your film, everyone has some, like, crazy, wild story, which is always quite entertaining. Like, a kind of classic expression is that if making a film was easy, everyone would do it. Of course. And it's right when you're in the middle of making a film, you're like, oh, what am I doing this? <laughs> um, the biggest struggles that I've had have usually been either personal issues with people I've been working with or it's been something related to the script you know we had one script tiny short film brilliant story and it was set in this very like interesting world where it looked beautiful on the outside and then as soon as you scratch the surface there's this kind of cult thing going on anyway Oof. um and yeah it was really fun and as soon as i read like the first page of the script i was like okay we need to shoot this in east sussex which is where i'm from it's that perfect like picturesque world but the director and all of her crew and her cast were all based in essex which is a couple of counties away and so it was a real struggle with locations because essex just wasn't full of the those sorts of places right. and so I kept like oh I've got all these images in my head of like beautiful farmhouses and you know, you know my next door neighbors and that kind of thing often it's just about searching for the right look and the right feel you know whether that's a location whether that's a costume whether that's an actor you know you have this very set idea in the script and being able to actually find it in real life is often quite a time-consuming struggle it's definitely possible, but it is just about the amount of time that you have available. And guaranteed, as soon as you found the location, it's three times the budget you've got. Yes, of <laughs> course. That's the struggle of negotiating and all of that stuff. But often the biggest struggle, struggles happen outside of the script. It usually occurs when you're working with someone who has a different vision for the film than you do. Sometimes it's just plain like rudeness and an inability to let go of a script. That's often very common with writers and directors. Mm -hmm. You know, you work on this thing for months and months or maybe even years. It's a real struggle to let go and let someone else in. But I couldn't do my job properly if I didn't get involved. You know, it's kind of, it's like if someone came to you and said, okay, I have this marketing plan, we're going to do X, Y, Z, I just need you to actually make it happen. You know, you could look at it and be like, this is the worst marketing plan in the world. And, you know, you wouldn't be doing your job properly if you didn't help them fix it and make it better, essentially. And it's the same with scripts. But of course, it's really difficult in how you go about that. Because as I say, a lot of people think producers are just sorting machines. So that's usually the biggest struggle I've had. Well, it's even in a project management role. I mean, it's professional babysitting between the clients, the vendor partners, you know, in, in my world of things, even the board members, they, everybody gets attached to their baby. So that script is their baby. You know, they, they've worked on this thing. They've blood, sweat and tears through years. They don't want anybody to change it. What I have learned in the creative realm of things is you really have to sort it into two experiences. Are you creating this piece of art? Um, because again, if you're getting paid for it or not, you're still creating. That's what you're being tapped to for your talents and your skills. Are you creating this piece of art as a passion project? Or are you looking to get paid for it? Did somebody pay you to do it? Okay, they're paying you for your insight, but at the end of the day, you got to give them 
what they want. And it may not be what you want. And it may just be a mangled mess of what your original vision was. But that's where it comes into a, a moral conflict of, you know, how much can I let go and be flexible? And how much is it just interference from above that it's it's really shoehorning in too many things into the script that just don't make sense, shouldn't be there. It's going to blow us over budget. It's out of the creative perception of what the story is about. Does it embellish and help empower the story? Yes. Great. It's the same thing with marketing, you know, and it's, it's, it's difficult to be able to let go. Uh, every project that I put my work into, I put my blessing into, I want to come out successfully. Nobody goes into a project and says, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to do this halfway and call it a day. Yeah, I'm happy. No, that's not who we are as people. So when you have a hundred people in that area, you know, trying to fight to tweak something to see the best, it's going to go out with their name on it. They want to make sure it goes out well. So I can understand that. And and actually, that's interesting because it, that also, see, we, I like this. I like how the structure is leading us into the next question. Next question. Um, <laughs> it's almost like you planned this thing in advance. I it? know, right? Like, oh, and here I am thinking we're just sitting here hanging out. Um, no, no, no. It's this is all ad hoc. Shh, don't, don't, you know, don't pull the curtain away. This is all as we go along. It's like a choose your own adventure book. Um, no, we like to be prepared. Uh, you, you talked about difficulties sometimes dealing with folks that are working with you or working with the script. How would you let somebody know who is an aspiring producer or a filmmaker themselves? What's your insight on finding somebody truly worth collaborating with? Obviously, specifically for the filmmakers and their selection process for a producer the director, um, you know, but this could be anybody uh, personnel-wise that are part of the filmmaking experience. Mm. I think the best advice I've ever gotten on this was from a producer called Harriet Reese, and she said, you know, you have to make sure from the outset that you are working with someone who has exactly the same vision for your film. You have to make sure that you're working towards the same goal. A lot of the little details can change, you know, costumes and cast schemes and locations, you know, fundamentally at this stage, it doesn't really matter. It's just about making sure that you are exactly on the same page with where you want this film to go. And like you say, you know, if your script is your baby, it's really difficult to be able to get out of that mindset of script and start thinking about it as a film. You know, there are scripts that I've read and they read beautifully, but I know that only a fraction of that is actually going to translate to the screen. And so when I come in and say, okay, I think, you know, we've got a really great foundation here. I'd love to be able to build on this so that we get the full impact from the film in the same way that we get the full impact from the script. You know, you do have to make sure that you're open to that. That's again, where a lot of things fall apart is someone saying just flat out no. It's maybe just because I'm quite a lost cause supporter, but I always try and, you know, stay, stay as open as possible for as long as possible it's very rare that someone will say oh why don't we try this out and i'll flat out say no you know if i don't think it's, <laughs> if i don't think it's a good idea i'll say so but i'm still willing to try it you know unless we've got a really tight deadline coming up or something right but if you're not willing at all to you know whether you're a writer director producer or just general creative if you're not willing to have any input and to at least hear them out and experiment with it a little bit, then, you know, you're kind of going to be end, you know, at the end of the day, you're just going to be left with your script by yourself. You can make a film by yourself, but it's not the best way to go about it. And so if you really see this being a film on screen, whether that's at festivals, whether you're doing an online release, whether it's a feature film and you want to see it in cinemas, you need to make sure that 
you know what your goal is and that you're collaborating with people that have that same goal and you're all working towards the same thing. That makes sense. I mean, you know, even even I remember with the improv acting factor, if there was a scene that we didn't think was going to work, we had what was called the Olay. So if something was so disastrous halfway through, it just wasn't connecting, it wasn't working out, the characters that we were trying to embody, just it just wasn't happening. What the, the, the guy just said, hey, Olay, you know, hey, things, we try it, it didn't work. We try it again, right? We try the scene again, or we just realize it's just not something that's going to connect with the people that are here, with the items that we're trying to convey as part of the experience for those, you know, watching for the theater experience. We just said, eh, you know, it didn't work. Olay, we, we, we move on. Almost like the agree to disagree, you know, factor, you know, for that. Now, for different films and, and narratives and things like that, even just different film styles. Is there a specific film style that you personally enjoy working with, creating within, or even watching if they're different? And, and if so, why? Yeah, I'm very specific about the films that I love and the films that I want to make. I think every filmmaker has to get really clear on that. You know, what stories do you want to be known for? No matter if you're just making your first short film or whether you're on your like fifth feature or something, I think if you are really clear in those stories that you love, it makes your life a lot happier because you don't end up with something and you're like, oh, maybe we should have rethought that. Oh dear. But, you know, from the external perspective, it also makes life a lot easier. You know, if I said to you, hey, we're going to go see a Tarantino film, you immediately know roughly what the film is going to be like even though I haven't given you the title or any other information. And I'm not saying you have to be as like niche down as that, but definitely taking that time to really figure out what you love is so useful. You know, for me, I always tend to love the films that get slated by the critics just because I love the films that have heart to them. You know, and I think that's why I'm really an indie filmmaker through and through. You know, I'm not a studio girl, which is really just because I love that heart to it. And those, you know, it's all about the characters for me. I'm all about character-led narrative drama dramas usually and I always go into any kind of meeting by saying hey I'm Charlotte I make films about people fighting for their dreams and then finding clarity at the end of it it's so funny because I don't even think about that anymore it's just my kind of filmmaking DNA and whenever I come up with a new idea whenever I'm picking up a project you know I can look at my slate and without even trying all of those films fit into that one line that's awesome yeah and it's so useful because especially when you meet so many people if you're at an event or you know not anymore but um you know I've had people um emailing me like months and months later and they say hey I remember you you make films about so-and-so and even if they remember nothing else about me it's such a kind you know it's one short sentence it sticks in the mind you know it's that real elevator pitch for filmmakers right and it's interesting because that stands out to them and it's your like you said your elevator pitch but it's short and sweet and they remember you know Tarantino you know exactly, well, not always exactly, but I want to say maybe 85% of the time, you know the tonality and the type of movie that you're looking forward to or looking into. Even when he started to switch around and now become in front of the camera, his characterization's rather iconic. Same thing with Clint Eastwood and some of the bigger, you know, names. But I do find that there's going to be more flexibility even in my, my world of work with smaller organizations. The smaller the organization, the more flexible they are with trying something different. As you get bigger and bigger, whether it's a bigger organization, medium to large uh, corporation, or in your instance, a studio, they kind of have down pat and set what they want to do, how they want to do it, how they want to pay for it, what the risk is. It's like a cookie cutter setup. There really isn't 
a heart in the type of content that's going to be created from that establishment. It's not to say that it won't. They're looking for a proven track record for profitable success rather than telling a good story. And I mean, that's the jeopardy that we run into as creatives where we want to be profitable, but we also want to express our creativity in different ways and not just do the same thing again and again and again and again, because there's no, there's no win in that for us. You know, profit is one thing, but money can only get you so far telling a good story. Same thing with marketing, same thing with a good movie. Now, as you are, you know, we've, we've talked on a couple of producers and directors. Is there a favorite that you, I don't want to say fangirl out for, but that you really enjoy the way that they produce, you know, like a famous producer or even maybe even not, maybe it's a smaller, not so well-known producer that you've looked up to or really thought highly of or, or really just... I don't know, just really was somebody that you felt inspired by? I think it would probably be Alison Owen, the producer. I got work experience at her company, honestly. I'm still, that's like years and years ago, but I'm still very excited that I got to spend a full four days at her production company. But the reason that I love Alison and her films is because she has this brilliant blend of quite commercial projects, whilst also being able to tell stories that aren't usually told or don't tend to be favored in the commercial landscape. And they always tend to have a lot of heart to them as well. She did Staley Mr. Banks. Ah, okay, okay. 2011 Jane Eyre adaptation, the uh, Elizabeth with Kate Blanchett. But you know, she really prioritizes these female-led stories. The commercial industry, at least, doesn't always tend to favor them. And so I really admire how she has this great blend of stories that she really wants to tell and being able to put them on display for as many people to see. That's often a really hard balance for filmmakers to get. You know, like you said, you can have an indie film with a lot of heart or you can have a through and through formulaic commercial production. There's often not really a middle ground, but I think Alison, Alison gets it right. Well, it's funny because, again, the middle ground is not really movies that you tend to hear about. Those indie films that are really something new or different or exciting is they tried something different and were successful. And of that one success that you hear, nobody hears of the thousands and thousands of failures of other projects that tried something different and, and failed. But in their eyes, a produced piece is a successful piece. The end. If you were looking to tell a story, you are that much closer to successfully having putting a project, even if it's garbage. You have a project out there. You have a film out there. You have a sh video short out there. That's far closer than the idea guy or gal. They say, hey, this would be great for a movie. And that's as far as they throw it out there and, and they don't do anything with it. Now, profitability is great, but after a while, it kind of starts getting stale and, and almost sell out-ish, if you will. If it pays your bills, by all means, if it's not hurting anybody's ethnicity or creed or beliefs or anything like that, then it is what it is. There are worse things to happen in life. But I know for me, personally, as a creative, it's it's burnout, you know, to do the same thing for 10 years, same type of film, you know, you, you want to try something different to be known for something different to to just stretch your boundaries to see if you can if you can't, then hey, I tried those type of projects. And you see a lot of actors, they won't actually touch on projects. So they're well known, unless it's something that really piques the curiosity, unless it's a really good well-written script or a character that really stands out to them and say, hey, you know what? This is this is a stretch for me. I haven't really done something like this. Let me try this. I tend to disagree slightly. I think the reason I just, you know, when you talk about making a film, the reason I disagree is because I don't think making a film is a big enough goal. 
you know, I wrote something about this yesterday, actually. You know, I have so many people that I work with or have worked with in the past. And I've been following up with a lot of past clients of mine. And, you know, they've released their projects or they've gotten funding for something or, you know, whatever it is. But if they've released their film, you know, and they've actually made it and gotten it out into the world, I then always have to push and say, okay, so what were the results from that? Did you get new job offers? Have you gotten funding for your next project? Have you gotten an agent? Like, what's the next thing? And they always stumble a little bit and say, honestly, I was just glad to get it done. And this is really where my my role comes in, not just as a producer, but as a coach. You know, I work with filmmakers to transform all of these notebooks full of ideas into sustainable careers. You know, sustainable as in something long-term, not like using less plastic. It's the biggest thing because they get so in that whole thing of like, I've just got to make this film. And what happens is they kill themselves for nine months to make a film and then they get it out there and nothing like tumbleweed you know and yeah it's cool they maybe got a few views online or you know they went to festivals or whatever it is but if you haven't actually leveled up then you haven't actually achieved anything with that film I mean yeah you get the chance to experience you know a few different skills or you know work with new people or something along those lines which is cool but it's not it doesn't translate to anything in career terms and so I always have to push people I don't care if your goal is to make a film that's not a big enough goal you need to know why you're doing that especially you know like you said it's if you're the driving force behind your project and often you're the only one for quite a long time making it is not going to be strong enough to actually get it done you know do you want this to establish you as a director do you want to launch your youtube channel with this do you want to get an agent from this? Like, what's your goal? You know, pick something and go for it. So on the one hand, yeah, if you've made something, you are doing better than 90% of the other creatives out there. But you need to know why it is that you're doing it because otherwise you do end up stuck in this cycle of killing yourself to make a film and then you're back to square one. And I think we agree on the same perspectives on that. For me, even in the podcasting world, how many people uh, have you seen that have kind of podcast drift you know they start off contents it's great and then all of a sudden after i don't know less than 20 episodes in you don't hear from them anymore and they six months they kind of just gave up you know it's the same thing when you produce any type of content i don't think and and that you know obviously that's why we you know spoke and and i have you on there are certain levels of behind the scenes that i don't think people really understand until they're in the trenches mm -hmm. And they're actually editing, producing. They're actually, oh, wow, I am in this project knee deep. I need to finish it. And some people don't do that, you know. But to get to that point where even if it got nowhere, that is a reference point that they can put as a credit and say, hey, this is a proof of concept of the type of work that I do. And it's a starting point. Now, if it's a career to launch from there, absolutely. Somebody like yourself definitely is going to help them in that direction but you can't push somebody that is just good enough to you know just put out that one piece you know that's that's good enough for them they they're they're not looking to expand themselves you know they exhausted themselves like you said in that frame of time producing that one piece do they have the capacity of doing that again and again can they evolve their way of thinking to do it smarter to do it faster, to do it more efficient with better people. What happens when you scale up the budget? Can you still produce it in a timely, effective manner? These are all things that you have to start thinking about as you produce multiple pieces of content. And sometimes, depending on how big the producer or director is, you might be doing these back to back. You might be doing these at the same time. And that's a really mastercraft level 
of efficiency and really flexibility of your talents. And obviously, you know, how well your network of people that you've brought on for this project can really assist in that. Because it's not just one person calling the shots. It is really the flexibility of the entire crew to make it happen. It's really just the executive directors and producers that are steering the ship in that direction of where it should be or needs to be. But, you know, as I'm sure you have emails and inboxes full of folks that have, you know, just dreams and they don't really know how to go about it. That's where most of their dreams kind of die is that email. You know, they they want to ask a lot of questions rather than starting something and learning. You know, for me, and, and I'm sure it sounds like, you know, as, as we've spoke, you as well, we like to be a self-taught person, get in, figure out how something works, ask questions. And as we make the mistakes, figure out as we go along, hopefully not too bad of a, of a mistake, but just you're trying something that you've never done before. If you want to learn, you learn from the bigger people that have done it successfully. You pick their brains, you know, you you see what works, what doesn't work, but try and do something yourself. I have found, you know, and this is just me personally, before we, you know, have spoke, I find a lot of people have a lot of great ideas in different industries, video game projects, podcasting, indie movies. I have this great idea for the next movie, but that's as far as they ever take it. You never see anything beyond the couple of napkin scratches on the, uh, you know, notes on the napkin uh, type procedure. If you can nurture that interest into something that could be a full-fledged profitable career, you know, then awesome. What would be something that folks that are producing content and maybe just not getting the, the 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 headway that they're looking for or the or the eyes on their content what's something that you would say to them if they're listening now to to motivate them to keep going or or to think bigger you really need to change how you're operating as a filmmaker and that's a pretty painful answer i probably wouldn't like it if someone said that to me over a podcast but the reason i say it is because as soon as you make that change everything else changes with you. And, you know, you get out of that cycle. And I ran this masterclass series last week, you know, we spoke about it and I said, you know, I spent a full day talking about how you need to go from cycle to ladder, which sounds insane. But when you think about it, you know, instead of going around that crazy cycle from this one film that's going to establish you as a director, cool, that's the first step on your ladder. Next step is going to be working with bigger budgets and proving to financiers that you're capable of working with bigger budgets. That's project two. You know, it's all of these little like stepping stones. And so as soon as you change the way that you are operating as a filmmaker and you get out of that one project at a time focus, everything else is going to change with you because suddenly you're picking your two-year goal, you know, and it might be to be screening your first feature film at a festival as a director, I don't know, pick a goal and go with it. And you know where you are now and you're able to break that down into stepping stones. So, you know, you need to direct your first short and then direct a larger scale short film and then get the script together for your feature. You know, you can break it down into those manageable chunks. And when you start thinking about that, you know, long-term, life changes, honestly, because you're no longer just working on this one project on a small scale, you know, in your downtime, you suddenly have a whole two-year plan for your career. I'm still hitting those targets that I set for myself, like, way back in October when I picked out my next two-year goal. 
I'm still hitting those stepping stones because I know that system of pick your goal, work out the stepping stones, job done. You know, I make it sound quite simple, but honestly it is. It's different for everyone. So, you know, it's not like there's a cookie cutter kind of path to follow. But once you start following that system, you know, you have a career. You don't just have a project. I like the visualization in the, instead of going round around on the track, that you're actually on a ladder rung going up your next move, your next move your next move and it being a carefully considered sort of precise the, the the precision in it and moving forward rather than just chasing your tail next project next project i think that really helps in changing your perception of how you do it if, if this is what your passion is nobody's going to tell you otherwise they can help you but nobody's going to tell you what is going to be success for you at the end and you know they can help you bloom up and get bigger but I just feel that, especially in this time right now, folks are really reevaluating their life, their lifestyles, their work, their work ethics, maybe their career path, their industries, their directions, maybe just their to-do list, things they haven't really checked off yet. You know, that's why I have a variety of different guests on that is a timeless experience, regardless of what's going on in their life age-wise, there is little nuggets of information that you can glean from that. Mm -hmm that allow you to get on that next rung rather than chasing your you know chasing your tail and at some point you're going to end up popping in neutral you're going to exhaust yeah. yourself you're going to lie down and you've never made it off that track where if you take a breather on a ladder and you're climbing up you've climbed up 13 14 15 rungs and you take a little rest you're still up you're still elevated. You're still moving towards that next goal, that next plateau. You know, you have that two-year goal set out for yourself. Boom, you're there. Now, where's my next two years? And it's not going to be perfect. Though One of the rungs might be a little, you know, mildewed. You might get a little tired and go to grab it and, and it breaks. You know, that's what happens. It's life. But at least you're that much further away than just literally on the same plane. So, yeah. I really enjoy that. Charlotte, I appreciate your time. You can find Charlotte on Instagram on Charlotte Produces. Uh, you can definitely check in and connect with her on Facebook. She has Facebook live sessions like how to pitch to producers that she did today to help other creatives. You can check out her content her classes and services directly on charlotteproducers.com. She also has a sign up on her website that you can get to for an easy to read producer's checklist. You just put in your information and that goes out to you as well if you're interested. But Charlotte, I, I really appreciate your time and stopping in to talk with us and being a guest on the show. Really, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Mike Tech Studios podcast, your source for design, entertainment, marketing conversations, and content. Amazing guests, tips, humor, and stories available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and your podcast app of choice. This has been a Mike Tech Studios production.